Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the worship service of Brannockstown Baptist Church on this Sunday, the 16th of August. Uh, whether you're watching live or maybe tuning in later via the Internet, we trust and pray that you'll be blessed uh, from this time of worship together. Uh, of course, I would have preferred to be there in person, uh, but due to some changed circumstances recently, that's not possible. And, you know, if there's one thing this lockdown uh, is teaching us, as one thing that we should take from this is that while our world changes like the shifting sands, that the God of the Bible is never changing, never changing. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And he is the only rock on which we should build our lives. And this current situation shouldn't discourage us, but should drive us to want to know and know our great unchanging God more and more and into deeper fellowship uh, with him through our Saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ and so I want to thank uh, Brannockstown Church for the invitation to speak to you this morning uh, I'm very pleased to be able to uh, do this of course like I was saying I would have preferred to have been there but that is not possible uh, many of you will know me uh, for those who don't or maybe who are tuning in online uh, my name is William Kidd I am uh, the son of Dorothy Kidd who fellowships there in Brannockstown and I live over near Edenderry in County Offaly, and I am married to Yvonne, and we have five children from 14 down to seven, so busy times in our house. Uh, I'm, I'm a fellow student with Daniel Allen, who was sharing with you last week, and of course you all know David Sandel. Uh, I, I, I'm, of course, studying with David at the Irish Baptist College and Daniel, or, or should I say I'm an ex-student, as I've just completed my three years at IBC. And I've now been, I think the technical term is, unleashed on the world. Uh, but I want to thank you all in Brannockstown for your prayers for our family uh, over the last few years and your fellowship and your support. And as we look to the future uh, as to where God would have us in ministry or whatever he has planned for us, uh, we would really appreciate your prayers for wisdom and patience as we wait on the Lord's leading. And I would like to assure you of our prayers for you also. Um, just a couple of announcements, uh, uh, a couple of things by way of announcement. Next Sunday, I understand that Richard is still away and uh, Osmond uh, Muaniri, uh, uh, apologies for the pronunci pronunciation there, but Osmond is a deacon and a trainee pastor at the Ballycullen Church and he will be sharing with you next week on Sunday the 23rd and Richard is due to be back on the 30th, uh, Lord willing. Uh, so and also on Thursday next the prayer meeting is as normal uh, in uh, on Zoom at eight fifteen and there will be an email circulated during the week as normal about that. So that's all our announcements this morning, and so as we come to worship uh, this morning, let's turn to God's Word and let's consider our God and remember that we want to make Him the centre of all that happens during this time. And if you have your Bible uh, near you, please turn with me to Psalm 117. But if you don't have one, don't worry. This is the shortest uh, chapter and the shortest Psalm uh, in the Psalter. And if you want, you can just listen along as we read Psalm 117. I'm going to read from the NIV. And, you know, I know that we can't meet in person. But thankfully, God, God's word is not bound by COVID-19. And neither is his church. And although we can't be together physically, we know that uh, his word tells us that King Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we can rejoice this morning in what God has said about himself and the promises he has revealed to us in his word. And so let's devote our time now to him 
by considering his word together. Psalm 117. Psalm 117. God's word says this. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And we thank God for his word. As small as this little psalm is, it includes some awesome truths about God. And it encompasses the whole, the whole world. You know, we worship the God of all nations this morning. Uh, the God of all peoples. All are, are called to worship him. And this has always been the plan. You know, the Jews thought uh, they had the exclusive rights to this God. But from the beginning, God has had a plan to save for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. For his praise and his glory. And as we come to church, it's helpful to remember that we join with the host in heaven in a special way uh, on a Sunday morning in worshipping this great God. And the psalmist says there, he says, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And, you know, the extent of God's love for us is revealed in Jesus Christ. You know, and that word great there, it has this idea of a victor prevailing over his enemy decisively. Great. At Calvary. Christ prevailed over his enemies. He defeated sin, sin and Satan and death and he took the wrath of God on himself, died in our place and rose victorious over all. Yes, great is the love of God toward us. And this love the psalmist is talking about, it's God's mercy, his steadfast covenant love for his people. We, we bow humbly before him and we realize the extent of what our salvation cost. And he goes on to say, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You know, faithfulness there, it means literally, it means the amen of the Lord. The truth about the Lord endures forever. All true worship has the same origin and the same object. True worship is based primarily on the truth about what God has revealed about himself, on who he, God is, what he has said about himself, and what he has promised us in his word. And aren't you glad this morning that we worship such a loving and a merciful and a faithful God? So let's continue our worship of this great God this morning as we bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow humbly before you this morning we acknowledge that in psalm 117 we've just read lord we see the greatest truth that a human being can know the fact that god has loved us in christ jesus with a love that endures forever that nothing in this world or in heaven can separate us from this love you know our hearts are filled with thankfulness to you that you are the god of all nations the god of all peoples that you, the one who is worthy of all the praise and the glory and the honour, because of the great love with which you loved us, you made a way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God. So we recognise our sin this morning and we acknowledge that we have let you down in many ways. We are before you as sinners. Have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. And you know what a privilege it is for us to understand grace this morning that we praise you for who you are and for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we also want to thank you that as our loving Heavenly Father, you, you call us to cast all of our cares before you. 
And so we do so this morning. We want to thank you for answers to prayer that we have received, Lord. We thank you that you're such a faithful God. And Lord, as we come this morning to worship, we remember that outside in our world, it seems such a place of turmoil and uncertainty. Our Father, uh, we pray for the situation throughout the world with COVID-19. Lord, we pray especially for those countries where, uh, you know, this may have much more effects than it, than it does here uh, in the West, Lord. We pray for Nigeria, where Adi was sharing about a few weeks ago, Lord. You know, the different way uh, COVID can affect there. We pray for Asia Link, Lord. We think of that country of Laos where they're trying to get Bibles in and how they are affected by this uh, terrible virus, Father. But we also want to pray, uh, Father, for our own country. Lord, we pray for our government. We thank you for the healthcare workers, for the frontline workers who have kept our country going. And we pray for our government, Lord, that you would give them wisdom as they make difficult decisions. And we pray for Leash and Offaly and Kildare, these counties who have been restricted. We pray, Father, that you would ease the restrictions, Lord. I pray that there would not be any more outbreaks, Father, but that rather that these lockdown could be eased once more. And Father, we just want to pray especially, Lord, for those this morning who may be suffering uh, mentally or emotionally or maybe financially this morning because of this, uh, the, the effects of this virus. Father, I pray you would comfort them and help them. Father, for those who are afraid, Lord, uh, of this, Father, I pray that they would just know your hand upon them and that they would know your presence and that peace that only comes from our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And Father, I also want to pray this morning for the country of Lebanon, Lord. Uh, we remember the big explosion that there was there and many people have lost their homes and many people have been injured. And, and Lord, we know that many people have been bereaved. And we pray for that country and especially for Christian organizations trying to work there. And our Father, I just want to thank you this morning for the church here in Brannockstown. Uh, Lord, I thank you for churches up and down the land where your word is being opened this morning. But I want to thank you for Brannockstown, Lord. I want to I want to thank you, Lord, for their existence for many years and for faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And Lord, I pray that may continue for many, many years to come. Lord, I pray you would bless the congregation here and uh, thank you for each person gathered around your word this morning. And we pray that you would help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to understand your word. Lord, would you incline our minds to your word, Father? Lord, would you open our eyes uh, to see wondrous things in your word? Lord, unite our hearts together around your word and satisfy our souls through your word. Uh, we pray this morning in and through our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. So our, our, our reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 as we come uh, to consider the sermon this morning. Uh, Peter, of course, the great apostle of hope. In 1 Peter, he is uh, writing to uh, people in northern Turkey. He's writing from Rome. And he is writing to them to bring them hope despite their perplexing circumstances. That's his goal. And uh, that's my goal this morning to, to uh, bring that out about how we can have hope in a world that we are perplexed by. That the Christian hope is really something that we can really rely on. And so I just want to do that this morning. And uh, our reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll begin at verse 3 and we'll read down to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not now see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Even angels long to look into these things. And we praise God for his wonderful word of truth this morning. The year I was born, 1975, Bruce Springsteen released a song called Born to Run. As a singer is faced with the challenges in, the li in life, he says, we were born to run. And maybe like me, you have felt like running away over the last few months between COVID-19 and all the other bad news stories. But unfortunately, we can't run away. But the world wants to make us feel like running away. But as Christians, the Bible reminds that we don't have to run. That we have everything to hope for. I know Daniel last week was talking about how not to worry. Well, Peter here is telling us that we are to have hope. We are to have hope. He wants to bring hope to a people who are perplexed by the world they are living in. And the hope Peter wants to give them is not like the world hopes, like I hope the weather is nice tomorrow, or I hope my horse wins the race, or I hope one day to get to heaven because I've been fairly good. You see, hopes like that have the possibility of failing. The weather might not be nice. It's likely your horse won't win the race. And hoping you can get to earn your way to heaven. Well, that's not even a runner. You see, New Testament hope is a confident hope without any concept of the object of the hope failing. And that's because our hope is not based on circumstances or anything changeable. Our hope is in a person and his word. He is the one who is sustaining and keeping all things. And if you're a believer, even though you may not see it or feel it, your hope, your inheritance is kept for you in heaven and you are being kept by God's power. And that's why we need to look at God's word this morning, because it brings us hope. You know, Peter, uh, in, the, in the verses just before the ones we've read, in verses 1 and 2, he identifies the readers of this letter. You know, they're from northern Turkey, a vast area covering uh, 300,000 square miles. Maybe some of them had heard Peter on the day of Pentecost and brought the gospel back, or maybe Peter went there. We don't really know. But this is Peter. This is the apostle. He wouldn't even sit with Gentiles. Paul rebuked him. He was shocked when God uh, told him to eat the unclean food. And now he's writing this letter of hope to Gentiles. People he once thought were accursed. 
and the diversity we see there in verses 1 is the Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia. Uh, you know, the diversity of these people really emphasize that this is for believers of all time. And the identity of Peter's believers here, there's some truth just before we uh, get going, just to, as to, as to uh, who these people are. One is, uh, who are these guys? They are, their identity, verse 2, they are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Their identity is based on the fact that God knew them before time began. And that's their idea of knowing someone based on a personal covenant love, like we were talking about in Psalm 117. You are loved and treasured possession of the Father. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, that is what your identity is. We are known to him. You are a citizen of heaven. That's who you are. And whatever happens is according to to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And secondly, we see how they're set apart. They are set apart by the sanctification of the Spirit, verse 2. Set apart, positionally justified and free because of the Holy Spirit's action. And thirdly, they have been known and sanctified so that they can be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. We are chosen by God the Father. We are purchased by the Son and we are set apart by the Spirit and takes all three for there to be a true experience of salvation. And as we move into verses 3 to 12 here, Peter does something very interesting. You know, the Bible tells us that the, the, the early church turned the world upside down. And so Peter takes a concept uh, of which the world is very comfortable, the past, present and future, and he turns it upside down. He puts the future first. Our hope in verses 3 to 5 is in the future. And then he speaks of how we can find joy in the present through that hope in verses 6 to 9. And then he takes the past and shows how it is all pointing to and clarifying the facts about our present and future. It seems opposite to the way we think past, present, future. Peter turns it on its head. But did you ever notice that the way the world thinks about Christianity and the reality about Christianity are opposites? The world thinks that being a Christian is boring. But anyone who is a Christian knows that's not at all the case. The world says sin will bring you happiness. The Bible says obedience to God will bring you happiness. And so as we dive into our text this morning, we're going to see three points from this wonderful uh, verses of hope here that Peter's talking about. In, in verses three to five, we're going to see that Christians are born to hope. We are born to hope. And secondly, verses six to nine, we are being prepared in the present right now we are being prepared and three we're going to see that we are bound for glory we are bound for glory so first of all we are born to hope peter says there praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ you know peter is speaking to believers who are under pressure he's telling them how they can have hope in a hostile environment and that is what we need to hear. How can I be a Christian in a non-Christian family? How can I be a Christian in a non-Christian society, a non-Christian world? And Peter begins here exactly right, by breaking into praise. You see, he wants to lift their minds and he wants to sweep them up into the reality of who they are worshipping. Because if anyone knew what it was like to be without hope, it was Peter. This is the disciple. He denied Jesus on that night in the courtyard. 
the cock crowed and Luke tells us that Jesus looked at Peter. What did Peter go through as Jesus was crucified and died and as he looked on the one he had denied? Peter must have lost all hope and yet Jesus restores him on the shores of Galilee. And what joy did he experience when he realized his hope had been restored? No wonder he becomes known as the Apostle of Hope and that hope never left him. And it's so obvious here as Peter begins, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is God, he is holy and he is Father, he is personal. The Lord of the Old Testament, Peter reveals as a personal God, personal to Peter, personal to each believer. And Peter includes us, he says, our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is speaking to believers under pressure and praise is always the best place to start when we try to make sense of our circumstances. Because when we come to church and even as we're living our life, we can forget the hope that we have and we can focus on our circumstances. So we have to put that hope first and praise him for that hope. And then he goes on to say, according to his great mercy. The wonderful Old Testament idea of God's mercy. It's that same word again as in Psalm 117. God's covenant love for his people. Not, not only that he knew beforehand the information that his people would believe, but that he has always known his people intimately before time began. If you're a believer this morning, your name is engraved on his end, was engraved on his, name, on his hand before time began. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, will pursue me, will never let me go. Peter praises God that having made the plan in eternity, God has now fulfilled that mercy and has accomplished what he said he would. Peter knew he needed mercy and that God's promise of mercy has been fulfilled in Christ. It is made possible for sinners who deserve to be judged to be forgiven and God's holiness to be upheld in Christ. God's character in the Old Testament is described in many places. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. All is fulfilled in Christ. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life, but they are talking about me. If you want to know God's character, Look unto Jesus Christ. He says there, according to his great mercy, he has caused us, caused us to be born again to a living hope. When you were born the first time, what say did you have in that? It wasn't your decision. You hadn't a clue. And spiritual birth is the same. We are called, but we are called by grace. It is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But when we see that we are saved, then we must respond. We cannot say we believe something and live a different way. This must affect our lives. God's great mercy does not cause us to just do whatever we want, but it makes us realize our great debt to him. And that causes us to praise him and gives us a desire to live for him. And that shows us that we have received a living hope. We have confidence then. And it gives us a desire to live for him, to obey him, you know, when in movies or on TV programs, you see astronauts in space or you see divers under the water. 
they have an oxygen tank and a suit to create an environment for them in which they can live despite being in a place which doesn't really suit them. When we are born into a living hope, you know, one day there will be a renewed heavens and a renewed earth and Christ will rule. But until that day, spiritually, we live in a hostile environment. And like that oxygen tank of the astronaut or the diver, we need hope to survive. And that hope is fueled by the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a living hope. Living things grow and mature and develop. And that is what our hope is doing as we put our trust more and more in his resurrection. Our hope is a living hope, but it's also a hope of a future inheritance. Verse 4 says this. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. An inheritance would have spoken to the Jewish believers of their share of the promised land physically. Like the people of Israel, they were to receive their share. But now Peter takes that and he applies it to a spiritual inheritance, which the earthly one was just a shadow. And he can't even describe it, it's so fantastic. So he describes what it isn't. It can never perish, spoil or fade. It is imperishable. You know, when you buy a car, it's lovely and shiny and new. You mind it and you clean it and you get it validated. But in five years time, it's going to be five years old. It's going to be perishing. You cannot keep it. Everything gets old, but not your inheritance. This inheritance is undefiled. It, it, it cannot be defiled. Nothing can get in and touch it. It is not affected by sin. It is perfect. It is unfading. You know, in our house where we hang our coats upstairs, you know, Yvonne was devastated. It's just under a skylight. And one summer we realized that all the coats were all destroyed as the sun faded the color on one side. It destroyed the clothes. Everything in this world is perishing. It is defiled by sin. It is fading away. But our inheritance is exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Peter tells us it is kept in heaven for you. You know, every year we tax our car. And every year Yvonne hears those words, her favorite words. Yvonne, do you remember where I left the tax book? I can never remember. I always put it somewhere safe every year. And every year I'll go, I'll remember where that is. And I can never remember where I've, where I've put it. And so we, we run around the house. I have to pull out all the drawers and all the desks and try and find it. And of course, eventually remember that I left it in the car or in the glove box or somewhere. But our inheritance is not like that. The term there, kept, is something which has already happened in the past with ongoing results in the present. Your inheritance is secured by the resurrection of Jesus and is being kept right now by him. It is not down the back of the cupboard. It is not down uh, the back of the couch. God will not be frantically looking for it on the last day. It is kept and he knows where it is. There is a crown in heaven which can only fit your head. There is a seat with your name on it in heaven which no one else can take. Isn't that a wonderful truth to consider? Our inheritance is kept in heaven. But then Peter goes on, he says, you are being shielded or guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. And it, this is a very military term, shielded or guarded 
by God's power. This is a continual guarding. The guard will not be taking a nap. He will not be nipping out for a coffee. This guard is guarding is never ending. So our inheritance is kept for us, but we are being kept for our inheritance. You cannot lose your salvation. That no one can take it from you. This is a great spiritual reality and promise we can hold on to no matter what. No matter what. And when it says there, it's ready to be revealed in the last time, that means it's not far away. It's not obscure or shadowy. This is not a thing or a force. Our hope is a person, a reality ready to be revealed. He is already ready. He is right here, right now. That's why we can say we are born to a living hope. It's as if the future has already happened. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are born again to a living hope. Born to hope. But secondly, we are being prepared. We are being prepared. We are rejoicing in the present. Let's just read verses 6 and 7 there. Those verses say this. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. <coughs> After giving us the facts about the future, Peter gives us the facts about the present. And one of the most striking things is that rejoicing is in the present and it's great rejoicing. You see, he wraps this section up, verses 6 and 8, with rejoicing. But he doesn't skim over the reality of the fact that we are currently living in a place where we experience trials, but we also experience joy. And there's just a brilliant reality in this. You're facing trials, but you are rejoicing. Various trials, different kinds of trials, he says there. You know, this persecution that Peter was uh, talking to these guys in Turkey about was Nero's persecution. You know, but that had yet to be felt. But Peter here is referring to all the many day-to-day uh, trials of life felt by believers who are living in a hostile environment. Obviously, it was much different for these guys uh, facing uh, terrible violence. And even today, uh, Christians, we know in the persecuted church face terrible violence. And we pray for them. But Peter here is not necessarily talking about violence, but maybe it could be a family issue with becoming a Christian. Maybe being ostracised. Maybe just feeling left out of society or in school or university or your workplace. Social exclusion. That's what was happening to these guys. But Peter gives them some facts. Some facts about these trials. The first one he says that you greatly rejoice in the present right now. This rejoicing is much deeper than we think. Mary uses this word. My soul rejoices in God my saviour. David says, return to me the joy of your salvation. It might, like, might not feel like you had that joy inside you, but it's a bit like the sea. It's a bit like the ocean. One day the sea is calm and sunny, and the next day it's stormy and grey. But underneath, the vast currents in the depths of the ocean remain the same. Your circumstances may feel like that. One day blue skies, everything is great. The next day crashing waves. But the joy as a Christian you have is like those deep ocean currents. You may not be able to feel them, 
but there's a long-term effect which will become evident that's a fact but there's another fact here he tells us that trials are temporary and unpleasant they're temporary and unpleasant he says for a little while they're for a little while they're only for as long as God allows you know I like the old King James it says they are for a season but he also says they cause us grief you know there's no point in saying ah sure everything's grand you know as typical Irish you know how are you I'm fine everything's not fine it's not okay we do face various trials COVID-19 is a real thing we've been in lockdown for four or five months trials are real and if you're not going through on right now you either haven't recently in the past or you will at some point in the future but the best fact about these trials is that they are producing for us a fruit which is priceless it's priceless the bible says there that the genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that is perishing though tested by fire you know in the ancient east uh, the goldsmith in the furnace as he was smelting the gold uh, and he would have done that until all the impurities were gone he would have kept it in the furnace until every uh, bit of impurity was gone he wouldn't dare waste a drop he wouldn't have stopped until it was finished do you know how he knew the process was finished as he as he melted the gold as he refined the gold he knew it was finished when he could see his face reflected in it and our savior is just the same he's just the same he keeps us in the furnace until he takes away all our self-confidence all our false thinking all those wrong thoughts in our lives and make sure that we are reflecting his glory that's his goal for us but what a comfort to know that he is in control warren veersby says and i love this when god lets his children go into the furnace his eye is on the clock and his hand is on the thermostat isn't that brilliant his eye is on the clock and his hand is on the thermostat and we can benefit from this now because as we suffer these trials our faith it becomes more a part of us God becomes more real to us as he shows us some new part of himself it's like even though you're barely hanging on by your fingernails God's presence becomes more real and this mixture of rejoicing and suffering does not mean we lose hope but builds our hope and brings us into fellowship with him just look at what verses 8 and 9 says it says there though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not now see him you believe in him and are filled with that inexpressible joy and glorious joy though you have not seen him you love him there were many who saw Jesus in the flesh and yet never knew him the Bible says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him if you passed the Lord Jesus on the street, you would not have known that he was the king. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do not see and believe. And that's what gives us the rejoicing. What gives us the strength to go on through the trials. What gives us that strength is the love of a person for us. And where do joy and suffering, rejoicing and suffering find true meaning? Well, only at the cross. Only at the cross. Our love for Jesus is not based on sight, but on our fellowship 
with him through his word, as we read about his great love for us. There's only one place where we stand with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's at the foot of the cross. While we were still his enemies, he died for us. No wonder Peter couldn't find words to describe it. There aren't any. But do you see the privilege that we have now? We can know that now. We can experience grace right now. We can own these truths for ourselves. We can obtain the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And that really leads us into our conclusion. As we finally look at verses 10 to 12, those verses say this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. We'll be finished in a moment, but it's just wonderful to think that we are born to hope. And even now in the present circumstance when we can experience joy because we are bound for glory. If you're trusting the Lord Jesus this morning, you are bound for glory. And we base that hope for the future. We base our rejoicing in the present on what God has said about himself in the past. The whole Old Testament, all the writers, the prophets, what they were looking for is what you have experienced if you are a Christian. You see, Peter takes the past and he uses it to clarify what our present experience is now. How do we know we have this hope? How can we know this joy in the present? Well, it's through his word, through his word. You see, that's what these verses are saying. The great sweep of history was always going in one direction, but where it was going was not revealed to the previous generations. So we have this phenomenal privilege of understanding grace. If you understand what it is, if you know what mercy is and have experienced peace with God, then you have what the whole Old Testament and New Testament was looking for. That's what they were looking to, the person and time that they were writing about. They were serving not themselves, but you. We have hope because we are incredibly blessed to live in a time where grace is still available and where we can take the scriptures and see plainly what they are saying. You know, people argue and fight over different versions of the Bible, but we are blessed to have a spiritual truth in a package which a child can understand. We can see how everything fits together, God's plan of salvation. And if you're a believer this morning, you can see your great need of hope, fulfilled in a saviour, so gracious and kind. You know, if you got all, if you got the best minds in the world, Bill Gates and all the, just the greatest minds, if you got all the smartphones and the tablets and the software in the world, they couldn't come up with the plan of salvation which the Lord did and revealed to us in his word. And you know what? It says angels long to look into what, why Jesus died for you. Angels long to understand that. His sufferings and his glory, verse 11 tells us. They can't understand it. Yet you and I are privileged to actually experience the fulfillment of the hope this book is talking about. Ephesians 3 and 10. The manifest wisdom of God is being displayed through the church to angels in heaven. 
You see, you can only fully understand when you were once without hope, but now have been given hope. And that's what happened to Peter. That's what salvation is. We are born to hope. We are being prepared and we are bound for glory through Jesus Christ this morning. Isn't that wonderful? And should just thrill your heart this morning. I'll just close finally with this quote from the 19th century uh, English clergyman Charles Simeon. And he said this in a letter to a friend. He was suffering some pretty terrible trials. And he said this. He said, my dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. And we thank God for his word this morning. Uh, thank you very much once again for the opportunity to share with you in Brannockstown. It's lovely. Again, I wish I could have been there in person. And hopefully next time, uh, may hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll be able to see each other in the, in the flesh. And I, I pray God will bless your week now as we go from this place. And we'll just close our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for what you have revealed to us in your word about who you are, about how you are a saving God, about how, according to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. Lord, thank you for uh, saving us, Father. Uh, thank you for uh, just uh, all the many blessings that you give to us. And I pray as we go through this week, Lord, that we would be mindful of you, mindful of the hope that we have, no matter what circumstance comes along. And I thank you for uh, just the precious uh, privilege we have of understanding grace this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless.